Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Widows, the newest movie from acclaimed director Steve McQueen. It uh, tells the story of a bunch of wives of some criminals. The criminals were killed in a heist and the wives decide to carry out their last job. Has a Loaded cast, including Viola Davis, Colin Farrell, Robert Duvall, Elizabeth Debicki, Jackie Weaver, and a bunch of other people we'll get to. But I'm excited to be joined by my friend Josh Brown to talk about this one. Josh, thanks for being here. Hey, man. What's up? Uh, not much, dude. I'm excited to talk about this. It, it's been out for a couple of weeks, but I mean, I hope people keep going to see it, and I enjoyed it, so that's why I still wanted to talk about it, even though I knew it had been a couple of weeks since you saw it. So I'm glad you're still here, but um, for, I, th- I think the first place I want to start with is I... I kind of did a little bit of Steve McQueen education myself the last couple of weeks. I'd only seen 12 Years a Slave, so I went back and watched Shame, and then I watched Hunger, so I could just kind of have a better idea of his work and where this kind of fit in with it. And I mean, those first three movies, I mean, they are they are bleak, they are heavy, they are serious subject matter. And in Widows, there is a lot of heavy stuff, including murder, dogs nearly getting choked, people uh, being treated poorly or almost as prostitutes are some of the characters we like there's a lot of heavy stuff in there there's police brutality uh yet it feels like different and not exactly the same as a, a piece of those other three movies what were what was your biggest takeaway and kind of how this felt uh, as a steve mcqueen movie the, like i had seen um hunger and 12 years a slave but prior uh to seeing widows and then like after widows i had finally like saw shame yeah and shame is kind of like the most like you know this is definitely like a departure out of out of the three but i think shame is probably the closest to this film like but yeah like um if there's one thing that steve mcqueen likes it's, it's suffering you yeah. know yeah, like whether it's, you know, a hunger strike or slavery or... Crippling sex addiction, yeah. Yeah, and in this movie, the suffering is grief. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's caused by, like, the other characters in this film. And it, and it's kind of funny how, like, now, like, he's sort of, um, I guess, like, making this suffering, like, more accessible than his other films. Yeah. You know? uh, um, and I guess it happens, I think... In all his other films, it's always, like, on a singular protagonist who is, like, suffering. And then in this film, it's, you know, a whole sprawling, you know, ensemble that are, you know, enduring some type of pain. Um, mostly caused by Daniel Kaluuya. Uh, yeah, I can't believe I forgot to mention him and Tyree, Tyree, uh, Brian Tyree Henry. But uh, this cast goes on and on. But, yeah, he inflicts a lot of pain on people. Yeah. And like, speaking of like, um, Brian Tyree Henry, like, so like, I know he's like really big on television right now. Like this is like, I know like he's on Atlanta, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm like really behind on television. So I haven't gotten to Atlanta. So like, this is sort of like my first like formal. Oh yeah. Production to him. And I'm like, I think that might be like the black Philip Seymour Hoffman, you know? Well, did you see, did you see Hotel Artemis? No, I did not. Okay, so he has a small part in that. But I, I saw you make a comment about that somewhere about the black Philip Seymour Hoffman. So I didn't know where else you had seen him. That kind of made you think about that. Wait, and, and I know like he's having like a moment right now because I hear like he was him, on Broadway and something too and did well. And he's in Beale Street and he's yep. going to be the new Jordan Peele movie. And like it kind of reminds like you know he's such a presence like in this film and like I, I, he kind of reminds me when like in like the nineties when like 
like when Philip was like getting like started, you'd see him like, you know, in Sense of a Woman or Boogie Nights and stuff like that. And even Twister, you know, like Talented Mr. Ripley. Yeah. And he's always like, Okay, that dude is that dude is somewhere, you know what I mean? And like like a great, terrific character actor. Mm-hmm. So like and so it's like I was blown away by him and then, you know, Kaluuya. Oh my god, like that's... Yeah, and we're I, I think you have these two characters that are off to the side that are like, I think, I think the most interesting thing that's getting talked about with this movie is that how people are saying it's unfortunately not making a lot of money, um, yeah. or at least for what its budget was. It's like barely broken even at this point on a $42 million budget. And people yeah. are saying it was, it was really marketed wrong. It shouldn't be, um, it, it should, it should, it should have been marketed more commercially instead of a prestige awards type film. And where they're trying to show it's more than a heist movie. But I think part of what I liked about it was that it, it was more than a heist movie, largely because of the presence of these characters, these other characters you're mentioning, the the, the politicians and the, if you want to call them uh, gang leaders, I don't know exactly. It's a little sketchy, like exactly what Brian Tyree, Tyree Henry's role was in the community, or his name is, the character's name is Jamal, before he decided to run for alderman. But like they, they clearly are a little bit outside of the, – they're, they're a separate entity from these women that are pulling off the heist, but like – I mean, I like the big picture that this movie creates, and I really like these performances that you're bringing up. Yeah, and like, and the weird thing about like, I think like going back to the marketing and like, what is this like film? Is like, you know, like people are criticizing that they didn't lean into like the pulpier aspect. Like, they play too much to the Steve McQueen audience and not the Jillian Flynn uh, audience. Right. You know, she's the co-writer. Uh, yeah, and then probably you know they probably would have a bigger hit if you because you have like this movie where you know like has a diverse cast where like the main leads like Viola Davis is on a popular ABC TV show, uh, Michelle Rodriguez is part of a popular uh, probably one of the most popular film franchises out oh, there, yep. and then Daniel Kaluuya was in Get Out and Black Panther, you know, and Liam Neeson's in this movie like who's probably one of the few like bankable movie stars still left like you know you drop them up and it's a heist film you probably did drop the ball uh, um and but like the other weird thing about this movie is that in a sense is that like since it's you know it's doing something it's kind of a throwback in a weird way like stars born as a throwback where it's like oh this is like an adult drama you know and like and this is like the only time i felt like a movie in a real while, like felt like, you know, right now we're going through this golden age of television. It was based on a British TV show from the mid eighties. Yeah. And you can see like, it's like, you know, the mini series aspects of it with the different like, subplots. And like, this is like the, uh, the, this is like the first time, like I saw a movie in a long time where I felt like the reverberate, we actually felt the reverberations of like the golden age of television that we're in right now, where like a moot, like, like this felt like like the cable prestige version. Like so far in movies, I don't think we really have like a similar a movie like a movie that felt the same way that a prestige television show feels like. And I don't mean that like as a knock against a movie, but like there's a world where you see this movie and it could have been like an eight episode miniseries on Netflix, you know, and it win a bunch of Emmys um, because you don't. Like, in movies now, I don't think, like, we take as much time as this movie does in exploring 
the many complicated and nuanced like subplots. Well, I feel like I've seen a lot of TV, a lot of movies where I feel like that would have been a lot better as a TV series if you had had more time to delve into everything. But I feel like this thing didn't feel like it shortchanged me anywhere. Yeah, no, and I agree. I agree. I like that it's contained, you know, and I like, again, this would sound like a knock from me, but like, it's not, it it was just something that like, and I really, I guess like gets the reason why I think maybe it's somewhat complicated in like marketing because like, you know, it's a ostensibly, like ostensibly it's a heist movie, but it's not necessarily like a fun heist movie, like say like what, like oceans eight was trying to be, you know what I mean? It's a much better movie than oceans eight. Yeah. 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 It is. It is. Uh, Um, um, it, you know, it's, it's, you know, like I was talking to like my friend after we saw the movie and like the interesting thing about like in most heist movies, like when you talk about like the machinations of it, like they have a lot of fun, like, you know, in like planning the heist. And in this film, there's not that much of like, like, you know, uh, of like depicting like, the planning of the heist, but more like exploring the interpersonal relationships these women have with each other and the people in their lives. And I think that's really good because mm-hmm. one of my biggest problems with Ocean's 8 was that it got into the planning of the heist and I didn't buy a lot of the things that we had to accept as, accept as a part of that. Like Sarah, you saw it, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Sarah Paulson just getting a job planning the Met Gala when they're trying to pull off a heist at the Met Gala when she all of a sudden is able to walk in and do that. Or mm-hmm. just guaranteeing that the Anne Hathaway character would choose her to design her dress, choose the uh, Helena Bonham Carter character to design her dress. Like they had no way of knowing that was going to happen, yet we're told at the beginning that uh, Debbie has planned out this perfect heist. And it's like, well, how can it be so perfect that you've run it through your head so many times in prison, yet it's contingent upon someone choosing a designer for a dress when she has countless designers to choose from or someone is being given a job planning the very event that you're trying to pull off a heist at? Like, I was like, I, this stuff takes me out of the movie when I hear that, and I'd rather a movie be like this and just kind of accept the fact that they'd already planned the perfect heist, but these are characters that are not really built to pull that off, and now they're going to have to work together and, and figure it out even if they don't really get along all that well, and that's a lot more interesting to me. Yeah, and there's a lot, yeah, and this this movie, like, well, there is a twist, and, and that's, like, the biggest, like, you know, you either buy it or you don't, and I feel like we'll probably get into it yeah, later. Yeah, we're, we're going to get into that later. That's a good jumping off point once we do do spoilers, but, yeah, yeah. continue. Yeah, but there's, like, far less gamut. It feels kind of realistic, and then, like, the big, like, reveal at the end of the film is that, like, the heist that they're planning is not, like, you would, like, you would think, like, in other heist movies is like this bank or something like that and instead it's like they're just breaking into a house you know (laughs) very small scale you know and so i think in that way it's a little bit more plausible that they could pull it off um which by the way i think cynthia eviro like during the scene in which she is like running uh, i think she gives like i think she beat tom cruise as like the best runner i think i think it's erivo e-r-i-v-o Oh, area. Yeah, okay. she's having a good few weeks because she was really good in bad times at the El Royale. Um, and she's like kind of comes on later in this movie and is like a nice jolt of energy to the dynamic of those all those other women that are hanging out together. But yeah, I think one of the and I think she's a big part of that as well, because like, I mean, all these all, all the women that are already involved in the heist up until she comes into it. I mean, they're at a point where they're like. They're kind of struggling, um, in the, 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 or they know that they're going to be facing really hard economic problems if they don't pull off the ice. But because their husbands have been 
thieves that stole a lot of money, they've been living relatively comfortably. Whereas like she's someone that's kind of been having to hustle all along. And there's like different levels of that. And then you see the levels that the, that Colin Farrell's working on. And I mean, this whole movie at the same, and that's probably the most impressive accomplishment about, about this movie is that it manages to be both a heist movie and just kind of a commentary on class in a pretty racially segregated city. W- when did you become a, when did it become apparent to you that like, that's what this movie was doing and how do you think it pulled that off? Is it, okay. So like um, when it came to like the politics of the movie, I think like, you know, early on we're introduced to uh, uh, Jamal, uh, talking to Colin Farrell and um, and what's interesting about this movie this is a weird and it's not like a thing or it's not, it's not like a critique but it's like an interesting thing about the movie's politics is where both Jamal and Colin Farrell are like two corrupt people like they're like neither one of them is someone you would want in office nope. but like I think and I want to know your take I came away thinking, Colin Farrell's Lesser of Two Evils, which is interesting that a movie about Chicago that, like, the white politician is the lesser of two evils in, in a movie directed by, like, a black dude. Um, yeah, I mean, like, the, they kind of tilt the scales towards you thinking that way since, I mean, while he'll do some crooked stuff, it's not implied that he would go so far as to just kind of murder people when he needs to. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I would say that's a true observation, but that's, that, I mean, that is, I guess that is interesting that the the black filmmaker decided to go there, but uh, and who knows? I'm sure there there was even shadier stuff going on with Chicago politics well into well back in the past, uh, where maybe they might have resorted to such methods. But I think right, I think at the same time that is a critique. I mean, I don't think he's, and I, I do have some other thoughts about how maybe he isn't. He's definitely this lesser two views, but at the same time, it, it is a pretty scathing crit- critique of a certain type of older white Democrat that holds power in a very urban city and probably has some fairly antiquated views on race that they keep behind closed doors. Yeah. 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 And like, and like neither men are, it's like perfect. You don't like either one, mm-hmm. but like my thing is like when I was watching the movie, it's like, I'm like, I'm, I, I 100% am rooting for Colin Farrell in this race up again. But the interesting thing though, is that like, I was talking to my friend, he had like a different view on it where he's like, I think I'm more sympathetic toward Jamal. And he said, because like Jamal just wants to get out of like the gangster violence. Like, uh, um, because you know, he says early on, instead of like people chasing you with guns, they're now chasing you with like cameras and, you know, he's he wants like, to, but at the same time, he's deputized, uh, Jatemi, Daniel Kalia's character to kind of by any means necessary, help him out. And he yeah. seems totally fine operating in that world, even if Jamal doesn't, so yeah, he's, and, he's tied pretty closely to him. And not only essentially my argument against that too, where I'm like, yeah, but but he's saying like at least I understanding his motivations are a little bit more sympathetic and my take was more well no like the thing is is that Jamal just like he understands that beginning the world of politics he can still be he basically he wants to transition from like the streetland criminal to this white collar criminal where you know you can control the city can do money laundering with other like with the businesses and stuff. But it's leg- it's seen as legitimate, right. you know. He, or he wants to be a legitimate criminal as opposed to a street thug. Yeah, um, exactly. But 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 I think it's. I mean, the thing is, he all the stuff he's sending Jatemi around to do to get back at uh, the to to rectify to make up for the him his money getting stolen at the beginning. None of those things are really having any bearing on the election. 
at the yeah. same time. Like, it's not like he's getting money that he's funneling into his election from the things that he is having Daniel Kaluuya do. Yet he is constantly gaining on Colin Farrell in the race to the point where Colin Farrell kind of wants to drop out just to avoid an embarrassment at the end. And yeah. it's kind of like, well, you didn't really have to go do all this really messed up, really, really bad shit in order to win. It's kind of implied throughout that he was going to catch up anyway because the the white folks had kind of messed up and he, Colin Farrell is calling out Robert Duvall for, for, not reneg- for, for not rolling over on some kind of other deal that then in retaliation they redistricted things a little bit to, I guess, increase the black population in the district. And so at the same time, like they, things were going in his favor anyway before he sent Daniel Kaluuya off to murder a bunch of people. Yeah. Oh, and then um... – so like, should we like back up to like the opening of the film? And I want to know like, like, yeah, we kind of forgot, we kind of skipped right over the whole, uh, the whole catalyst for the thing. Yeah, I want to know how your audience responded to this because like my audience was interesting because like the opening shot of the film, and this is why it kind of reminds me a little bit of Shame because like you know you're opening up and like it's a couple in like in, in bed sheets and you know, um, and it's Viola Davis like in. Uh, Liam Neeson like going really hard making out with each other in bed together and like my audience like like they they were snickering they were, they were, they were laughing I got like the uncomfortable laughs during it and I want to know how your audience well, like I was yeah. for a little context I was watching it in a, the panhandle of Florida where <laughs> the the politics are quite a bit different there from South Florida, but I did not actually hear any. I, I, no, at least nothing jumped out to me at the time. Which I mean, again, that's a uh, very different uh, point of view of the world that the folks have over there, and I'll leave it at that. But they, I did not hear any commenting one way or the other. Yeah, no, and like, and like, and I think like eventually like my audience got on board because when we get to like the twisted, I'm like, whoa, and then like when the credits like came up, they started applauding. But I think like you know, and I guess like. This goes to like where like where maybe why this movie kind of like like did bad at the box office is because like you know Steve McQueen, despite making this very commercial like you know his first big studio movie, like he's bringing a lot of his idiosyncrasies to the film, you know, and I think like his art house sensibilities like you know will rub like some art a mainstream audience is the wrong way, but at the same time those secrecies also make what make the movie like pretty cool like in both of our eyes like it's pretty cool like you see like a middle-aged black woman like making out with like this white dude who is one of the most popular action stars or just in general like how many other and i think i saw viola davis giving an interview about it but like how many other movies can you think of where they just like show a middle-aged interracial couple just being a couple it doesn't really happen that often yeah, and then also that sequence is actually pretty cool too because it's intercut with like a terrific like high sequence where you see like uh, uh, Liam Neeson, John Barrett fall like uh, uh, do the heist that went wrong, and it's edited so well. Like like there's like this really riveting like wonder from like the back of like the uh, 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 armored vehicle. And it, it like it's just it's so cool that he did this juxtaposition between this really test, intense action sequence that's really well pulled off, and then this very intimate love scene. Yeah, uh, and again, I think if you're going to this movie, you already know what it's about to a certain extent, but like that, it, it sets the table in a way that doesn't feel 
overly expositional, if that's a word, and it just kind of like shows you what you already know kind of going in that you're, most people going in probably knew it was about a heist gone wrong where the widows took over, but it kind of it, – it, it shows you and doesn't tell you even though you already knew going in and it still feels like you're seeing something kind of new. Um, yeah. And uh, But yeah, I mean you mentioned that being a oneer, and I think that's one of the more impressive feats of filmmaking here, and I don't know – I don't really know if that was um, – a big part of I not just trying to think of this McQueen stuff that I watched in the last few weeks. I don't know if that's ever been a showy thing that he's done. Well, no, like, all his films, like there's like these big wonders. Like, like I, I feel like I feel like I remembered one at some point in Hunger, and I just wasn't remembering it off the top of my head. Hunger, and, like there's like there's a few, but like the main one, the famous one from that movie is like um, uh, Fassbender, and it's like the first, the, the, the first time he gets beaten. Uh, I think that one, but like the the one I remember the most from Funger is the one where like he and the priest are oh, like oh duh 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 yeah I was thinking of one where the camera moves but yeah that's yeah. A, that's the thing he, I think what my point was and that's a good I'm glad you brought that one up is that like I think one thing that's become pretty common and it's still they're impressive feats but like just to do the one or action shot you know mm-hmm. like from the fourth episode of True Detective season one and that kind of thing and. That's cool, and then there was one in like Triple Nine a couple years ago, which is a fine movie, but at the same time, it's like uh, I felt like I'd seen it in True Detective. Like I get it, the action shot where you raid a house or something, and here he like that 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 one in Hunger is like totally distinct from the just seeing one point of view driving away from a heist or the Daniel Kaluuya scene with the rappers or mm-hmm. the scene with the driving away from the campaign event here. It's like he. Yeah, they're showy, but it doesn't feel like a kind of thing I've seen before, which is cool. And his wonders are like in this movie are used like like for give you a greater sense of geography. Like this is a very much like a Chicago movie, and like you know his camera is showing you Chicago in a way that you know feels different from how you've seen it in like other films. Like, and there's some like cool stuff where like I think like there's like a crane shot, like one that like starts off like on the Chicago like subway and ends up on the street level. And it's in, you know, all of it is like, you know, it, you know, it's purposeful. Like it's, you know, it's not as like, you know, like, look at me, I can do this. Like it feels like, you know, um, inherent to like the story. Cause like the scene with like Kaluuya in, uh, intimidating the rappers, mm-hmm. making the thing in the cameras, like, you know, just tri- like following revolving around them. Like, I think that it makes it have like much more tension than it normally wouldn't have had. Yeah. No, no, I mean, I agree. And the, I think the one, well, I, I don't even know if I realized as I was watching it, because I've seen it twice now, but the first time I don't even think I realized the Kulia thing was a one But then when I, I knew that going into the second time, I was like, man, this is this is kind of really impressive and suspenseful, even though I, I, I know it's going to happen. Um, yeah, and then and the thing where there you talked about it uh, – just kind of showing parts of Chicago, and the the thing where there where uh, Jack is driving away from the campaign event for the minority owned woman business initiative thing, and going back to his headquarters, I I was a little confused at first the first time I watched it because I was like, what are they doing here? Like the car is like half in the frame but half not, and I'm just hearing him talk, and I was like, and then it all clicked for me once I realized how short the drive was. But I like spent so much time being confused that first time I watched it that I was like, huh, that I didn't actually realize how short it was till the second time I saw it. So it was even like more like glaring and to the point about what he was trying to do. It's like, man, like it felt like they took three turns in like a minute and a half and all of a sudden they were in front of a bunch of mansions. Mm-hmm. And 
that kind of sums up a lot of what he's trying to say about this movie because like this dude's like operating on another another level but it's everyone's right on top of each other in chicago but like these these white folks have like a lot of wealth that are just like very separated very easily and they can pull things off pretty easily and i mean i want to talk a little bit more about that when we get to the spoiler section but before we even do that i mean did you have some other general thoughts about like the 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 women as they were putting together the heist and um these actresses yeah it's kind of crazy we haven't spent as much like time on the women (laughs) even there's a central focus point but it's is like you know, I thought like the leads, uh, Viola, uh, Michelle, and Elizabeth Dubecky, who I think Dubecky, you know, I think she's on the top of a lot of like Oscar, like you know, forecasters list for supporting actress. Oh, I, I, I mean, I would be per- very happy if that was the case. I hadn't quite seen that because unfortunately, it seems like this movie might have fallen off a bit with the awards type of stuff. But like, man, I, I, I had only seen her before in. Man from Uncle and yeah. Guardians when she's under a bunch of makeup. You know, she had a very funny moment in Guardians too. And I mean, oh, and Cloverfield Paradox, which I mean, ugh. I have. Well, you're not missing out, but like, I mean, she has a memorable presence in that movie. I would say, but like, man, like, I mean, to be able to do what she does in the scenes with like creepy Lucas Haas, and but then what she, <laughs> but then what she does at the gun show. I mean, it, it's, that's it's, a great. That's a great character beat. Yeah, because I mean, I mean it, it, she does have a really nice arc when you think about it throughout the movie. I mean, she apparently it's implied that she really wasn't much of a per- person and became so invested in her husband, and she doesn't really know what she's going to do. But she actually like takes a lot of initiative and uh, really gains a lot of confidence as the movie goes on, and it's pretty fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, and like, yeah, I love like her scenes with Lucas Haas and like. Um, and then like the dynamic between her and Viola, because like Viola is this cold-hearted. And here's the thing: it is kind of brave of like Steve McQueen, because like at the focus is this like uh, middle-aged black woman, and she's not like the most like you know we're on her side, but we, there are times where we're like um, like she's not the most likable person of the crew because uh, 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 she's cold. You yeah, know? she's having to be pragmatic to get the job done, but she could. If she really wanted to, she could be a bit warmer in doing it. Yeah. And so, and this also brings me, like, so despite how many, like, heist movies we've had over the past, like, 25 years and stuff, there's not really, like, ever since, like, Reservoir Dogs, I think that's, like, the last time, like, there's been, like, a heist movie that, like, reinvented, like, what the heist movie is, you know? Because in that movie, like, you never see the heist being pulled off. You know, you're only seeing the aftermath. Right. Um, and like this movie, it's subversion. It subverts the heist movie in two ways. Like number one, it like just having like the female leads and stuff. And like to me, it's almost like someone watched like Heat and was like, "What if we made the movie about um, uh, Val Kilmer's wife <laughs> <laughs> and um, and um, Robert De Niro's girlfriend? Like, what if they had like an entire movie together uh, about like?" them pulling off like uh their uh significant others like heist and then like the other way it sort of subverts it is that like i again like as i said before i think it sort of downscales it like uh by the end of the movie like it's not so much focused on the heist i think the only time you get like the like like steve mcqueen like showing you the mechanics of pulling off the heist is like when they're trying to buy the gun and then when um there's a brief moment where the like Michelle Rodriguez is training to like run with like big bags of money, you know. But other than that, like the heist is almost 
secondary compared to everything else. Yeah, you have some of Cynthia Erivo like scoping out the security of the building ahead of time, but there's, there's, you're right. There's, there's not a ton of that. But like I said earlier, I think I don't think it's a bad thing because then you kind of poke holes in the plan if they show you too much of it, and if you can, if they, if they can give you enough else, other en- enough other engaging stuff that then you don't really worry that you're not getting uh, a step-by-step layout of exactly how they're going to do it. And you can just kind of be surprised when they do the thing. Yeah. And also like speaking of like another heist movie, the one I was reminded of the most when watching this, because it's like, but what I took away from the movie, is like, here's what happens when you give like an idiosyncratic art house director, like a budget commercial project. And then like, it reminded me of like inside man, uh, um, oh. where like, oh, like, you know, like there's an alternative world where like if Spike Lee was making like studio movies, uh, uh, um, like, you know, like they're just sort of crowd pleasers, like, you know, and he's really fucking good at it, you know, <laughs> and it'd it, be so much better. Like, you know, and then it's like in this case, like, yeah, like uh, Steve McQueen is handed like the same like keys and does a similarly like impressive job with it. Um, although I probably like, between the two movies, I probably might give the edge to like Inside Man if you made me choose. Um, but you know, no slight against like uh, 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 Widows. I actually watched Inside Man again. Uh, I guess before I did my Black Klansman podcast, and I, I don't know. I, 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 I mean, I, I actually don't blame Spike for my misgivings with it because that's not a Spike script. Uh, and I, I, I just don't think it really works the Jodie Foster character and as well as I had remembered it for the first time I watched it and yeah. there's, there wasn't anything glaringly weird about it and I, the, my other thing about that and I think I probably talked about this on the Black Klansman podcast with Daniel but the the Christopher Plummer character should not have would not have been old enough to like actually do hideous things during World War II um, and I don't know why I thought about that but Roger Ebert also thought about that so I didn't feel as bad for dwelling on it but uh, nothing like that really was like that glaring here to me. And I, some of my other issues, I don't want to talk about till we get in the spoiler section. But it sounds like we, I mean, we're we, we are in agreement though, and like really appreciating like all these women's performances. I I was listening to a um to a podcast that Steve McQueen did, and apparently he really had to like uh, work hard to get Michelle Rodriguez to like want to do the movie, which um and I'm and I'm glad she did. It's cool like that someone that's just kind of known for being like an action person got to like be in something like this and. And also, like, Michelle Rodriguez has a weird reputation in Hollywood, like, probably unfairly as, like, being difficult or whatever. Uh, I didn't realize that was a thing, but, um... Yeah, yeah. but, like, but, like, you know, I feel like it's probably... Because I think she's always pretty good, like, uh, uh, generally speaking, when I see her in a movie. I'm a big fan of David Ayer's SWAT. Uh, she's... she's I think that was the first time I remember ever seeing her in anything, like, even before the... I'm glad you're a fan of SWAT, because that makes one of us <laughs> i i'm i'm not i'm i do I not like swap to be fair i have not watched it since i was like in high school and or maybe early in college uh, mm-hmm. it's an early colin Fer- Farrell vehicle as well before he mm-hmm. realized that he was actually a character actor and uh not 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 a leading man and uh, same with jeremy renner oh yeah that was the first time i ever saw him too but no but like with uh, michelle rodriguez i mean i think that's the character that they almost do uh do do more with like the the grief uh do more with showing grief than anything i mean she has the weird scene with the architect's wife or husband and uh but also it's like she's like having to deal with her mother-in-law berating her and trying to figure out what her life is because it she was as in the dark as anyone about what it actually was what was holding her lifestyle up and she's having to come to grips with that and i think she does a pretty good job of conveying all that 
Yeah, and here's the thing. When we get into grief, there, there's one reveal in this movie that, like, rubbed me the wrong way. And where I was like, this, and this is, like, sort of, like, my glaring thing with the film, um, issue with the film. Well, let's jump into spoiler section then, because um, I think we've covered everything. Sounds like we both recommend this movie, but if you go see it while it's still out. But we're going to talk about some spoilerly stuff now, because there are some spoilerly things in this movie. But, um, so, yeah. Goodbye, people. Please come back and listen to the rest of it after you see the movie. Uh, are you getting at what happened with their son? Yeah, I hate that scene. Okay. I hate. I like. I mean, like. I thought it was like like the most heavy-handed thing. Like he gets shot like by a police officer in front of the Obama Hope poster, and I just thought like, okay, we. I honestly did not need this. Uh, um, you know, and I think the movie, even if you know, like either. You know, they had like a son or not. Like, it could have, like, you know, you, like, her suffering from like the loss of her son, it could have been something, you know, uh, um, that you didn't necessarily have to see. Or, 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 like, honestly, like, the grief of, like, losing her husband could have just been enough for me. You know what I mean? Like, I think they, you know, they're trying to, like, you know, use the death of uh, her son to, like, explain, like, Liam Neeson's, like, some of Liam Neeson's motivations in the movie. You don't think he needed that for that, though? Yeah, yeah, really, and you didn't need it, and I think it's like just heavy-handed. It, it just, I just, and like, I not about it. I think that was like, like it, it left the death scene left the, the worst taste in my mouth uh, um, uh, out of everything in the movie. Quick question: Did you buy? I feel like a lot of people, whether they're on board with this movie or not, it will be determined by the twist in the film. Yeah, I mean. I, the thing is, I don't. I mean, I don't know if the death of the son uh, hit me in as heavy-handed of a way as it did to you, but I, I thought maybe the and I mean I, the twist was fine for me, and I thought that like it almost would have been even more nuanced and subtle if you didn't have the thing with the son because then it's like, man, he like maybe just kind of thought like I would like having the kind of lifestyle that maybe uh just being in a a, a relationship with like a being a totally white couple would provide for me and that would have like been almost a more challenging thing to challenge an audience with than just being like oh yeah if you're married to a black person then you might experience racism every now and then like you know what i mean like i think it would have been like even more an interesting decision that he had made whereas i mean and i'm sure some of that did go into it but it's also like how much of it was just like yeah i just had some grief that my marriage didn't feel as strong as it could have been because we never fully came to grips with losing our son. But I mean, I still like the twist and I think I appreciated it even more the second time around more fully. Cause I think I had Facebook message you about this after I saw the movie and I was a little, I was a little confused by the scene on the boat with Colin Farrell at first. Cause I was like, wait, why, why is he involved? Why are they involved together? I wasn't really totally clear on it. And I kind of got that like, yeah, maybe it's just these people, it's all about people wanting to kind of break through into a different part of their life, and he obviously needed the money to do that, and he thought he was going to be able to somehow get it that way. Uh, but it made sense, again, because the the twist was like, it was a little confusing to me, even if I kind of bought why that character would want to do it, but I just missed a couple of small lines on that boat scene until I saw it again last night, where Colin Farrell like makes comments about the coroner and a detective, and I was like, oh, yeah, he would have need, needed help to fake his death as smoothly as he did. And because I'm watching it at the scene at the beginning with the heist, it's like even if they blow this whole thing up, they're still going to be able to t- figure out how many dead bodies there are, right? 
Uh, so that made more sense the second time around. It was like, okay, so like these white guys can just kind of like go cut a backroom deal pretty easily, basically. Whereas like the the women in the minorities are like having to really deal at a street level and having a lot less, they have a lot less privilege, a lot fewer things going for them. And I don't know. I think it made a lot of sense in the grand scheme of things, even if, I mean, it might have been out of nowhere for some people. See, I'm cool with the twist. Um, um, is it like, it's one of those twists, like, I'm cool with it, especially in the moment of watching the movie. And maybe if I, like, probed it a little bit more afterwards, it probably wouldn't hold, this, like, water or whatever. But, like, but like it, to, to me, it feels like, so, like, let's say this is an arm wrestling competition between the Queen and Gillian, uh, Gillian Flynn. Um, I feel like the twist, I can't, I don't know if that's, like, in the British miniseries that it's based off of. But uh, it definitely feels like the Gillian Flynn of it. <laughs> you know, like, that Like that feels well, like... Well, it's so weird that, like, she, what, she wrote Gone Girl where, like, you don't know where the woman is for, like, half the movie. <laughs> And you think she's dead, yeah. <laughs> and and then it turns out that she's not dead. You know, similar to Liam Neeson not being dead, and then um, she just did Sharp Objects, which had a massive twist at the end. Or which I haven't, I have not seen Sharp Objects. Sorry, <laughs> there's a twist. I, Shocker, there's a shit. There's a twist. I, I would assume so. I would assume. <laughs> um, uh, I want to see it because I was a huge Big uh, Little Lies fan. And which, by the way, you could see a world where like. You know, uh, John Paul, uh, uh, John Claude uh, Valet, man, John Mark Valet, yeah, John Mark Valet or whatever, like, like did like Widows or whatever with like Reese Witherspoon, Nick Coleman or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, yeah, like I'm cool with the twist in the moment, and like my audience, like they were like, <gasps> well, so, <gasps> so I, I, I still didn't when 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 the dog started barking at the closet, and then you see the flask. I didn't even necessarily initially think he was still alive. I was like, oh, like he was having an affair with her and he's like smelling her, his coat in a coat closet. And then there's the flax there. And then it's like, oh, wow, they're actually like doing it this way. I was like, all right, well, I'll see how they handle this. But I, I for a second, I, I didn't even know that they were going to go so far. It's just, I, I was still assuming he was dead. And then when he was alive, I was like, man, I uh, wonder what his end game is here. Yeah. So like, what do you think? So this is a weird year where like, First Man, this, and apparently Green Book, like they all like underperformed at the box office, despite being like these were like the three films that like I think most people thought would have done the most like the best commercially and probably yeah, would have done. So, it's funny you mentioned First Man. I mean, I uh, I have a friend that is in a it does a fantasy movie league like mm-hmm. that starts like kind of at the beginning of award season every year, mm-hmm. and he asked me for help a, a few, like a few years ago on it. And then he didn't, I didn't hear from him for a couple of years. And then this year he's like, can you just do this for me? I'll buy you a drink next time I see you. Um, I, I have something to go to tonight and I forgot about it. And I, I was like, it's like a combination of like box office and like rotten tomato scores and like Oscars basically. And yeah. I was like, man, like first man, number two, like top three for sure. I was like, <laughs> how is this movie? How is this not going to make a shit ton of money and win a bunch of awards? And uh, so I feel a little bad for him on that one. I think I probably put Widow's pretty high on there too. Um, I don't even know where I had Green Book. I would, I, I, but like, I basically, like, I, I, I assumed after I saw Green Book because I saw both Widows and Green Book with my parents. I had more older family on top of my parents with me at Green Book and mm-hmm. Widows. I think they were just, I, I think they were a little let down by, which it seems like a lot of people on the internet are having the same experience when they go to it with their parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they loved Green Book. 
And I'm like, man, Green Book is going to appeal to the old white people. I hope my parents aren't still listening to this podcast. And I'm like, there's no way this movie is not going to make a ton of money. My dad said it was like the best movie of the last five years. Uh, my mom loved it. My grandpa loved it. My grandma loved it. Um, my uh, grandma's friend loved it. Like, I was like, how, how are, how are the, like, all the white people not going to see this movie? And the, all the white people aren't seeing that movie. <laughs> See, my thing with Green Book is, like, I feel like that, out of all of the three, it probably will maybe as, like, award season. Did you see it yet? I have not seen oh, it I yet. I was going to make you talk about it if you had. Uh, I, I'm, I'm very reluctant to see it. This is one of those, like, if it, this is almost, like, me seeing it is somewhat dependent on, like, it getting nominated for Best Picture at this point. Okay. Um it's gonna be it's gonna be like three billboards outside of Missouri was for me last year, where mm-hmm. like I I saw it in theaters, but that was when I was doing my old podcast with uh, Anthony, and he just didn't want to see it, and I didn't really blame him for not wanting to see it, but like it's kind of like an anal thing I have where I want to be able to say I was on record talking about all of the best picture nominees, but like yeah. I just couldn't. He didn't see it. I didn't really have anyone else who wanted to s- talk about it yet, so like I didn't en- I didn't end up doing it until like it got nominated for awards, and he felt obligated to see it, and then I had to watch it again. And I was like, all right, now we'll talk about it. But, like, that's going to be what Green Book is, or I'm not going to be able to get anyone to do a podcast on it till like, late February. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, my thing is, like, like, because it's, like, a smaller movie, and, like, like, uh, and so, like, I feel like that film, like, if, like, you know, I think Golden Globe nominations are, like, this week, the more, like, it, like if Vigo and Maharshala Ali get, like, traction and stuff, like, I feel like the most, like, the this movie, I think Green Book is the most likeliest to have, like, legs going forward. Because it also, I think it has, like, the, the lowest hurdle to clear in terms of, like, box office. Because I think it's probably the cheapest one. Well I, was, well, I was also talking to Daniel about this the other day. It's like, at the same time, it's going to be the one, like, three billboards last year. It's going to get picked apart as award season goes on. So maybe it'll get nominations, but it's also going to be, like, under the biggest microscope. Yeah, yeah, but I also I feel like it, the same with three billboards. Like three billboards, you know, still made money, you know, and so like I feel like despite like you know like let's just be honest, Green Book's audience is not appealing to the people who are reading the think pieces about Green Book. <laughs> like sure. Green Book is appealing to like middle middle America, like older audiences, you know. Uh, um, so like I don't think it would be too affected by like people like taking a dump on it like critically but um uh but yeah like but who knows who knows man this is a crazy race where all i know for sure is that welcome tomorrow and is just gonna sweep <laughs> sweep down the line 13 wins yeah all right well we um we i think we got away from it a little bit did did you have any other thoughts on the end of the, of the on the end of widows and how they kind of wrapped it up we, we talked a little bit about them about seeing the heist but just kind of just the the final sequences of the movie and how that actually seeing the heist being put into action was pulled off and all that yeah it's pretty like here's the the more i think about like maybe like the heist being inside the house i now i'm kind of thinking maybe that's a little bit misguided approach because it's kind of like, it sort of falls apart with me. Uh, for, um, Cause I'm like, it's kind of like, it's probably, probably like, is your, cause when I think back to it, it's like in the moment, it's really thrilling. But then also I'm like, this kind of like sloppy cause it's just like tight quarters. And then like suddenly Robert Duvall appears and just, it's just, it's just like, a, it's like a messy way to like have it but i, I still... guess that's kind of the point too it's like here is what would happen to people that aren't that are ill-equipped to pull off a heist yeah, yeah they're yeah. gonna do it whereas opposed to like oceans 11 being a bunch of professionals 
Yeah, I know. And so it sort of works like that. It, it, you know, it works that like on that level, like it, it's defendable, it, it's defendable. Um, and then like, um, what you might call it, um, uh, the ending where like Viola Davis, like shoots, uh, Liam Neeson. I thought that was pretty satisfying as like an audience member, like, and you know how it's pulled off. Like, it's pretty cool. Cause you think he shot her and then like, boom, you know, it's revealed that she shot him and stuff like that. And like my whole audience, like, you know, had like, a pl- it was like the end of Creed. Like they were applauding at that point. Um, so, you know, like I, you know, it's a, it's a very satisfying movie. Um, it'd be interesting how it plays. Like I think, David Ehrlich once said, like, on, like, when he first saw the movie, it's like, this movie's gonna be on, like, TNT, like, like, for the next 12 years, and everybody's gonna watch it and, like, love it, you know? It's gonna be a cable favorite. Man, I don't, I don't know how, how it plays on cable. Like, I guess you don't lose too much when it's not, you don't have the rated R stuff, mm-hmm. but, uh, it doesn't feel like a, it feels like a little heavier than a cable movie to me. It feels like an HBO movie. Um, or that might be true, but I think it, like also like since the movie's long and stuff, and there's like these like right, it's two hours and ten minutes. So with commercials, it's gonna be like three hours on cable. Yeah, but like because this movie's long, you can sort of jump into whatever storyline you sort of want, like because it and it kind of has like this mini series feeling. So I could see like a world where it, it plays also like as you said, like you know, like your like family like didn't like it or whatever. And they, so, I don't know if they didn't like it, but they, I don't think they were as like. I don't think it was even as commercial as they wanted it to be. Probably, um, yeah. What you mentioned him briefly earlier. Did you think? Uh, did you think Daniel Kaluuya had a performance like this in him? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, see, like you know, this is a weird one because I remember like uh, during like um, uh, uh, last Oscar season when it was like he got nominated for Get Out, and like a lot of people were saying, it's "Like, well, he deserves it because it's like." a very like what he's doing with his facial expressions and like his physicality is like is is remarkable and like i think i like i appreciated that argument but i was it's it's like i thought he was pretty good in that movie and i appreciated the argument or whatever but i'm not sure he would have been like like my five for that year or something but at the same time um in this film i'm like i completely see that art like the physicality of it is incredible. Just the way like, he walk, the way the way he walks around the guy on the bowling alley. I had thought that like, I, for some reason, I thought I'd remembered him like stepping on the guy's hand, and and he doesn't actually do that. He stabs him a bunch, which is also really scary. But mm-hmm. I was just like, he was doing it with such like deliberation and in such a deliberate manner, but so slowly that I, I had this vision of like that he was gonna like step on this guy's hand with his boot and like crunch his hand. And I was just like, man, like he is so menacing right now. That was like, I was t- more terrified in that moment than almost the rest of the film. Oh yeah, well, and for me, like the moment where he's like looking at the rapper's face, like how he's like scrunching his body, like getting into their like mm. face, like the, yeah, it's a great. <laughs> like, that is so intimidating, and like yeah, like you know, Kaluuya, if he gets, he deserves a nomination for supporting for this like movie, one hundred percent, because he's just a scary villain. And I was listening to a podcast interview with McQueen, and he was describing um, uh, uh, Kaluuya's character, and he's like, um, yeah, like, he's a dude who's seen so much violence that he's, like, bored with it. So he either results in, like, perversity, like, with the the rappers or, like, the guy at the bowling alley, 
Or it's like, you know, the scene where they beat up Viola Davis's driver. He's so bored by it, he'd much rather watch, like, a football game. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I don't know, just really good and scary, and I don't know, I, I it makes me excited to, like, see what else he can do. Because I don't know, I guess I had basically only seen, I mean, I liked what he did in Get Out, and I, I liked what he did in, or I don't even know if I liked what he did. He had, like, a small role, basically, and... Um, in in Sicario and uh, and in Black Panther, but like uh, I don't know, it is he brought he brought it to another level for me, and it is it makes me more excited to like see other other stuff he's gonna do. Whenever. Oh, I heard. Well, I don't know something funny. I heard. Yeah. Like, oh. told me like Creed three should be Cynthia Eviro from this movie. <laughs> Person Michael B. Jordan. Maybe she, maybe she's maybe she's uh, uh, Clubber Lang's long lost daughter because apparently uh, Stephen Capel has an idea for another Creed movie that brings back Mr. T um, or something like that. I gotta see Creed too. Uh, no, it's actually really it's it's really good. I was a little worried about it. My, the other thing I forgot, I thought I thought I had forgotten about a Kaluuya point, but the other thing I was going to ask you was because I I was listening to an interview with um, McQueen where he was asked like, oh, what was it like not doing a movie with, doing a movie without Michael Fassbender? Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, sorry, Michael, we love you, but it was still great doing it without you. But he was doing something else at the time, which made me think that maybe he was originally gonna tr- he was gonna try and get him in the movie. I don't really know what role he would have played other I than Jack. Know. I think it would be. Would, do you think he could have done a better Chicago politician than Colin Farrell? Probably. Like, I think like they're both like Farrell's like, accent was kind of weird. Like, I, I get yeah. that a Chicago accent is probably kind of hard to nail. It's and not. also because he's like very Irish, like Farrell. Whereas, like, I think Fassbender's probably better with accents than like Farrell. So, and I think he looks more. I think like probably. I think with like Colin Farrell, I'm like, oh, that's an Irish guy. I think with Fassbender, I'm like, I could see where like he looks like you know, even though this is more Boston, but I feel like, which is I guess like Boston and Chicago are kind of like similar to a certain extent. Like, I could see like uh, Fassbender doing like some type of Kennedy thing or whatever just with a chicago accent well, or, and it works so yeah yeah it, but like feral's good in it i like so you know i'm not bothered by it but like you know and i guess weird like cause like last movie i saw from a queen um now is shane and it's like yeah Fassbender. when he's yeah. playing he's playing an american guy in that and i guess he's i mean i know feral's played like american dudes too so it's hard to say but like i feel like i'd i just seen him like do a lot of like fast do a lot of different american guys Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe n- maybe nothing as messy as like Feral Sky and True Detective season two. So <laughs> maybe seeing him do like a um, like a greasy Chicago politician. I'm, I'm not sure. I was just curious what you thought about that because I've I mean I've seen a lot of both of their movies. But that was just a thought I had when I heard that McQueen interview. I was like, huh. I wonder if the movie does seem that much different if you have him instead of Farrell. Um Go so, so hot take. I would probably say Colin Farrell's performance in Roman J. Israel Esquire over his performance in this movie. I think, and I, and I like Farrell in this movie. I just think, I think like he, like his character in Roman. I'll take, I'll take his performance in Roman J. Israel Esquire over Denzel Washington's performance. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, he he's like a good like he's yeah. definitely a good like greasy uh, lawyer guy, but like. He was actually kind of like an upstanding guy. Well, actually, he was actually like a legit dude in that movie, right? He wasn't yeah. like greasy or anything. Yeah, no, that's what I loved about that character. I thought that character was fascinating because you like in any other movie, he's like the you know he represents like the devil in the sense of like you know, you're working for this like a corporate lawyer or whatever. Like like you know he's the you know he's the uh, uh, person that has like 
bad intentions and he's trying to lure Denzel Washington away from his morals morals and like that's not the case in that no, movie. No. He's just a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, and you just kind of expect like a nice nicely dressed white man in that movie not to be that. And yeah. but but I think that gets it kind of like I think he I don't know what he says the same type of goodness here, but like he's not like you said earlier, like the way you ended up cheering for him as opposed to Brian Tyree Henry, I didn't, I mean, I didn't necessarily end up with a strong feeling on who I wanted to win that race, but again, mm-hmm. in this one, I went into it expecting, and while it's implied that, like, yeah, he's corrupt, he's taking kickbacks and stuff like that, at the same time, it's part of how the character's written, where he even says, on multiple occasions, really, not even just that, uh, the one or where they're driving away from the event, like, or it doesn't even seem like it's the life he wants, mm-hmm. so, like, and he says that kind of to his dad, he says that to the to his campaign manager slash um, lover, I guess it's implied that they are in that car ride. Like he really doesn't want all of this, so it, you, I think you just feel a little more sympathy for him in that way. And there probably is a part of him that legitimately thinks he's doing good stuff for the minorities in the community. And even if like it's not that earnest, because like they take a lot of their money after they set him up in these businesses, yeah. like he seems to have somewhat noble ideals and thinks of himself as being somewhat more of a genuine person than his dad so he just comes across a little better and probably again he's not obviously not like a good person like the guy in uh, roman j israel but like he is more i think he's a little closer to not being a bad person than you expect when the movie starts yeah he's he's sympathetic he's the more sympathetic one to me uh, between him and tyree uh uh, henry um a uh, fun fact with the his father Robert Duvall in this movie. Mm-hmm. Those scenes where Robert Duvall were like shouting the N word, like the Robert Duvall didn't know that they were like filming. Like it, it those were those were legit. <laughs> That's just them filming. They're like, hey, improv and do what you want. Can you just start dropping the N word? Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's just Robert Duvall. Like, <laughs> just like, oh, hey, we just caught Robert Duvall on camera. I, I don't, I don't know if Robert Duvall actually has said the N word in his life. I'm gonna take a bet, a bet and say probably, but, <laughs> but I mean, I bought that that character would think that. Uh, yeah. It's it's funny that it was uh, it's funny that it was improv, but like I, it didn't seem out of character or anything. Oh no no no, it's, it's not. I'm just making. I'm just yeah. making. Yeah, I hadn't but, seen that. Yeah, no no no. Yeah, no. Uh, like I'm sure it's scripted. It was just like um, uh, I'm just saying. Like it's just Robert Duvall as an old racist dude. I'm not sure if it's really acting. I'm just, you know, I feel like that's probably his natural state. Um, but I don't know. Maybe he's a good guy. I don't know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he, I mean, he's good in the movie. Um, and uh, someone like made the point, like someone who had like a little bit more of a mixed reception to me between like uh, about the movie, like talking about the conversation between him and his son, um, and where like Colin Farrell's trying to impress them with like the painting on the wall, and then um, the wall is like it's just wallpaper. <laughs> and then like the reviewer was like, "Yeah, that's sort of how I feel about this movie. Where like you know you could gloss it up as much as you want, but part of me thinks that it's just like wallpaper, and like it it." Um, it doesn't like fully. It's not as uh, it, it's not uh, uh, as insightful as it may think it is, or something like that. And I'm like, you know, that's an interesting critique. I'm not sure if I hundred percent like buy it or whatever because I had a fun time at the movie. I enjoyed it, uh, and I think it largely works with the exception of like one scene. Yeah, 
All right. Well, good. Did you have any? Did you have any other final thoughts on top of that? Oh yes, I can't wait till we do the Welcome to Marwin podcast about this movie. I know you're excited about Welcome to Marwin, but do you have any <laughs> other widow's thoughts? Uh, um, yeah, um, it's going to be very. You know, as much as I like widows, it's very unfortunate that Welcome to Marwin is going to make twice as much money as widows. Um, unfortunately, yeah. unfortunately for uh, uh, widows, it might actually. All joking aside, be closer than anyone would have thought like two weeks ago. But. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, uh, but yeah, like I think, and I wonder where it will play in Oscar because it's weird because I feel like Shame was another like Steve McQueen movie that sort of underperformed at the because I, I remember that I don't year he got any Oscar nominations. Yeah, and I remember that year people were like Michael Fassbender is going to get nominated for sure and uh, Carrie Mulligan, and then people thought like. Maybe the X rating hurt it or what? The um, it, got, it, it eventually got knocked down to rated R, right? It made too much money not to have been uh, rated R. I think it was. In, I think it was still in C seventeen. I remember that was like, which is weird. When I watched the movie, I'm like, I'm like, this was NC seventeen. Like, this seems pretty tame. All things aside, like, oh no, it was. NC-17. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but still, making twenty million dollars as an NC seventeen movie uh, is not bad i'd say probably yeah for an independent yeah. movie um, that'd be crazy if that movie made more money than widows well no widows already made more than it but like it's it could end up being more profitable than widows uh depending on yeah. how the next couple weeks go but uh but yeah man i i, I think we uh, i think we pretty well covered it i mean it'd be interesting if it did get any uh oscar buzz i'll um I'm, but it, i'm not i'm not i'm not counting on it much beyond uh, Viola Davis, and it'd be cool if Elizabeth Debicki got some love. But I guess that'll be yeah. uh, it'll be interesting to keep it keep an eye out for that as we uh, as we get a little closer to January. Um, but yeah, Josh, if anyone wants to follow you on social media or Letterbox, do you have any uh, handles you want to throw out there? Or do you want to be a blank slate? Uh, yeah, you could follow me on like Twitter. It's Joshua Brown. I think like ninety at Joshua Brown ninety five. I was really being bold with the uh, handle there. Uh, but yeah, and then on Letterbox, JKB sixteen two six, um, and that's about it. All right, and as usual, I'm Josh Jernavoy on Twitter, J O S H J U R N O V O Y. Letterbox, Joshua, then Jernavoy again, J U R N O V O Y. Uh, but thanks for everyone for listening. If you stay tuned in the coming weeks, I guess we'll. Um, this might actually. I'm probably going to post this before my podcast on Ralph breaks the internet, so you can keep an eye out for that. And even though at the end of that one I said this one would come next, I'm going to want to get this one out as soon as possible so folks that are curious about the movie actually go see it before it leaves. Because as I always say at the end of studio movies podcasts that aren't superhero movies, it's important to see these movies. So go do that. Thanks to Josh for joining me. So stay tuned for more, and we'll see you next time.